And we're off! Just a second here to fine-tune my shit. This girl said a funny thing the other day. She said, uh, every shit has hit every fan. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> it's very, like, uh... That's prophetic. I mean, that's, uh... That's some legit stuff. You know something's going down. Yeah. Fans you didn't know you had. <laughs> Ship coming out of the woodwork. Anyway, um, we were talking about this uh, testing rig that I built for my tube amps. And it took me a month to build, which is a, a long time. Um, yeah, it is a long time. But I'd never built anything like this before. And... It takes a lot longer if you're like feeling your way through the first time versus, okay, if I wanted to rebuild this or build a, another one that was a little more, thank you, a little more sophisticated, I would basically just be following directions. Mm -hmm. I can follow the directions of the thing that I've already done. Fraction of the time than your first round of first pass of like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Well, was this your first time doing this? Yes. Well, Did you have like a model or like a plan or like how did you uh, identify the parts that needed to go into this contraption well i knew what i wanted i knew i needed a variac mm -hmm. i knew the variac needed um a fuse and an mm -hmm. ammeter and a voltmeter um and i knew i needed a bunch of dc voltmeters mm -hmm. i knew i needed uh dummy resistors little speakers i mean part of this was oh this would be cool and temperature sensors like i need to be able to measure is this device getting hot inside um and just like scouring Amazon for, okay, these parts exist. Mm -hmm. I, can just, I can buy them. Um, but then going from that to assembling, okay, how is it actually going to look? Mm -hmm. um, I hate doing that sort of design up front. Mm -hmm. It's just really difficult and stressful because you have to make all these decisions. And I'm used to like putting off all the decisions. Agile style, right? <laughs> so inevitably, you pull the trigger, you buy a bunch of things, and then... As you're working, you have to buy other stuff and then other stuff. Oh, what about this? And I need a handle. And Don't fit. Oh, this one's cooler. Feed and yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so there was that kind of uh, procurement, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, but challenging things were like, how do you cut a square hole in metal? Mm -hmm. A jigsaw. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have a square and a jigsaw? The jigsaw works amazingly. Mm -hmm. you, you cut two holes with a drill at opposite corners and then this jigsaw just like chews through it. And this is like plate steel. It's probably a 16th of an inch thick. Mm -hmm. Right fucking through it. Amazing. Amazing. And you know, with the jigsaw, you can get those nice tight corners. So that was cool. Hell yeah. Um, then you got to file it down. And there were all, Man. Got that fancy deburr tool that I got too. Uh, that's my motto. <laughs> Always be deburring. <laughs> um. But it was just a lot to cut out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would lay everything out in Figma because it had Ooh. to fit just right. I know. Wait, how did you use Figma? Because it doesn't really have uh, inches. It has pixels, but not inches. Great question. So I just use a scale of 100 pixels per inch. There you go. Everything nice and round. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to deal with fractions or anything. Mm -hmm. I did have some confusion when I went to print it out. No DPI. So I would have to resize it mm -hmm. at 100 pixels per inch. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would work and... Sometimes it didn't, but eventually I got the hang of it. And it would print off on two pieces of paper because it's it's uh, 19 inches wide. Mm -hmm. So, um, I love Figma. It's like, uh, you know that DPI thing that we've been like 
that's like a foundational building block of like uh, communication design for eons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to have that concept in our application. Why don't they do that? Because uh, you don't need that in digital design. Because it's just all pixels? Yeah, and then actually there's pixels are being extrapolated into dots per inch because the, it's not a uniform density on the screens now. Because screens will have many pixels representing a dot so yep. it gets smaller. Yep. Um, but I guess like Photoshop or Adobe products came up in the age of print, so they have that baked in their DNA. Yeah, I mean, anything you need to print, uh, you absolutely need. Like, actually, <laughs> this guy that uh, lives around here, he's starting a new, like, photo editor, uh, like, software. It's all on the web. There's no sizes. There's no pixel size, and there's no Whoa, DPI. Man. <laughs> there's no sizes. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you use this thing? And he's like, oh, it's about, it's about like, 600 pixels squared. What? What? Because he's only doing it for, like, Instagram, uh, where you're doing like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm making like a marketing thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, people don't know what that is. And I was like, yeah, but like professionals might want to use this and they will pay you money. And you're telling me you're not going to give me those tools. I don't know. It just, it sounded to me coming from print and understanding that foundation, just not even having that concept model is well, mind blowing. But he makes an interesting point of like, look, it's a bounded box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. Like yeah. the box is as big as it is. Yeah. I mean, most marketing stuff is trash anyway, so mm-hmm. I'm sure it's don't really matter. Mm-hmm. I tried to do um, when I was doing an Instagram marketing campaign for uh, merger, my software thing. I was trying to cut these like screen grabs in Figma or whatever. It was a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. and I could see there being room in the market for that sort of mid level, mm-hmm. like just for social media stuff. Because, yeah, you don't need unbounded canvas. I mean, maybe you could do vector stuff if you want to get super fancy. Mm-hmm. But, like, come on, you know. Anyways. Sorry, so, where are you on? Uh, this this amp rig. Um, so it took me a while, but it came out pretty well. Of course, there's things I do differently. But along the way, I was reflecting about how um, my first stint of building amplifiers in my 20s we hardly invested any time at all in tooling. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Mostly like we were just struggling to sell anything we could because we had no money mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, but it just, you know, it, it wasn't in our ethos. Like we didn't stop to think about that. We were also young. We had no idea what we were doing. You're making, making stuff. Right. And you're just too busy making stuff to stop and think. Yeah. Well, you know, fast forward 15 years in software engineering and startups where there's a relentless focus on tooling and to the point where startups will go, no, they'll do, they won't build anything, any product for months because they're just focused on building tooling and getting all that together so that when they do start to build product, they know it works. It moves really fast. Um, and it's very reliable. And, uh, I think Google was one of the first companies that was famous for this, Mm -hmm. like just really investing in their tooling to the point where like, Anyone with a click of a button can spin up a whole testing environment, like a whole fucking Google cloud, whatever. Um, and and yeah, so now I look at it as, okay, yes, this seems like a distraction from the main thing I'm trying to do, but I have internalized the idea of you got to invest in your tools. Mm-hmm. Like you got to make good stuff and it'll help you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, what's the long run? And I'm fortunate at this point not to be uh, too cash trapped where I'm like, gotta make this money right now. Like mm-hmm. I can't afford to take a breath. Um, 
But yeah, it's cool. That's cool. I was watching this YouTube video, The Origins of Precision. And uh, I've seen that video. Yeah, it's been around. And his whole thing is like, all right, so you're going to make like a steam engine, but you're on, a strand, on an island and there's no tools, and there's no flat surfaces. So the first thing you need to do is create a flat surface. Mm-hmm. And you got to do that by rubbing three different objects together. Two different runs. Three. Three. Because the, the common plane for any three objects rubbing against each other is a flat plane. I thought it would do it with two things. Because you can get, uh, depending on the pressure, it will then not be flat and level. Mm. Uh, and then he, you know, kind of builds up from there. Uh, you know, like, what about measurements? How do we, you know, how'd that come out? How do we have a standardized measurement? All this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was fascinating. I went, I read, I watched all this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cool because we take for granted how we got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's like, well, we don't need that early stuff anymore, but you know, how do you, how do you get here from there? Okay. So here's a thought experiment. Let's say um, a bunch of humans Mm -hmm. end up on a spaceship uh, and they land on an M-class planet. So an Mm Earth-like planet in some other solar system. Mm -hmm. No one's coming for them, but they got the spaceship. The spaceship has all the food they need Mm -hmm. and it has, um, Basically, the complete technical readout of civilization, mm-hmm. like Wikipedia, how how to like all the blueprints for everything, mm-hmm. but they don't have. They're ba- it's they're, it's basically desert island. Like they don't mm-hmm. have a screwdriver. How long would it take for this society to invent the iPad? <laughs> Decades, really? Yeah, because to me, it's the speaking of tooling. Mm-hmm. You have to build the tooling infrastructure to build these com- complicated things, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, you're on Desert Island or this, you know, new planet. All right, so now you got to, like, etch silicon for microprocessors. <laughs> like, okay, what do we need? We need to mine and refine silicon, right? We're going to need optics because that's how, you, you know, that's how you get all this, like, light stuff. Then you're going to need to invent advanced chemicals to burn the plates, right? Then you're going to have to do, oh, wait, hold on, a clean room. Oh, yeah, let's get that stuff going, mm-hmm. right? And then that means we need, like, polyesters and all these plastics so that you can use in a clean room. Like, you know, I think to me, it's all that infrastructure, right? Uh, it's like when they said, you know, it's, we can't take jobs back to the United States because the tooling's not there. Like we can be like, Oh, we want to bring, you know, cars back or, you know, insert whatever back to the United States. Like, well, yeah, we got to build the whole infrastructure because in China you can go, Oh, we need this like widget B. Oh, well there's a widget factory down the street. Let's talk to them. Oh, okay, cool. Like we'll put on a truck and then drive down the street. And now we got all the things, mm-hmm. you know, you can't do that in the United States. And I think that's why there's so much interest in 3d printing and that like micro manufacturing. Uh, Cause if you're able to, in one with a few machines, make everything, that's really cool. Um, I don't know how you got there from, <laughs> <laughs> from here because <laughs> i've been thinking about it i want a new laser cutter <laughs> okay okay i'm glad we got right to the bottom of things so i've been uh so i got this little cheap laser cutter yes and uh it's got two different beams it's got uh, 1480 nanometers and a 1064 they're for different materials Wait, 1480 nanometers and 10 there's an uh, infrared and a blue one okay but they're within 400 nanometers of each other uh, a little bit more than that okay. yes um and that seems uh, rather close. Okay. Yeah, but they're one's infrared mainly and one's blue, and they can it can uh, different materials absorb it differently. Are there really four hundred nanometers difference between blue and red wavelengths, like opposite ends of the visual visible spectrum? I can look this up as we go on another topic, but 
Okay. We'll <laughs> I don't know. On that. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Uh, so I had this brilliant idea of making, uh, we get this gingerbread house during the Christmas holidays, right? And we got it from Trader Joe's and it's this biggest piece of shit ever. And it's a kind of fun thing to do with, you know, family members, but it's really boring. So I was like, all right, how can, how, how would I do this? And it was like, all right, I'm going to make a LA lifeguard tower gingerbread house. How am I going to do it? I'm going to laser cut gingerbread so I can get some really precise shapes and then use that to make a kit and then sell the kit next year. Precise shapes out of gingerbread. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we made the gingerbread and I started cutting, cutting it out of the laser. I'm sitting there just like, hell yeah. Like the whole thing is just, just going to. smells just, delicious. Yeah. <laughs> it smells a little too birdy if I'm toasty. honest. But then the whole idea in my head was that once it cuts, when the laser cuts it, you just pick up the parts that are not cut and the, you know, everything else drops out. It didn't though. And I'm sitting there being like, well, what the fuck? Why is it not right? If you're thinking about, if you have something perpendicular to the ground, mm-hmm. you cut all the way through it, the object should fall out. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. If it's not resting on something. That's on the assumption that the beam is straight is perpendicular to the plane, the flat plane. Yeah. In this, actually there's a mirror that moves the laser around a surface area. Oh, I see. And so it cuts at different angles. Ah, so it's all like trapezoidal. Yeah. And so it's not, so when you pick it up, some fall, some don't. And then when you put the pieces together, when you're trying to put it together, they're all, they're not, they don't line up. How, um, drives me fucking nuts. How off is this angle? It's, I would say a couple of degrees. Like I would say five to five to 10, depending on what. Cause gingerbread is not like metal, right? <laughs> it's not that precise. No, but I, I'm trying to make a very tidy, uh, gingerbread lifeguard tower. Oh, okay. So okay. the long story short is because of that uh, tolerant slippage, mm-hmm. I clearly need a better laser cutter. Clearly. So, um, <laughs> well, are the nicer laser cutters, do they like move the laser? So it's like a, a plotter cutter. So it's got an X and Y uh-huh. and the thing's perpendicular okay. and it just moves it around. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And it's the uh, one I was looking at CO2. So it's a CO2 laser, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, it's a, essentially a, you'd know this, vacuum tube. Mm-hmm. It's filled with mainly CO2 and a bunch of other noble gases. You put a charge. CO2 is not a noble gas. No, no, no. Yeah, but you put other oh. other ones. It's like a mixture. And other gas, okay. Yeah, and uh, you, you charge it, and then you deflect at one end. You essentially focus a beam, mm-hmm. and then that, it's actually invisible. Um, and then it lasers. Wow. I'll show you after we get done. It's I love it. Yeah. So, um, how big is the uh, workspace, the tray? Uh, it's the working cutting area is twenty eight by uh, sixteen. That's a good size. Yeah, but you could actually like there's little panels you can pull down. Uh-huh. And you can actually feed it through like a printer. And you can Ooh. do up to eight feet. So eight feet by twenty eight inches wide. But wouldn't you like lose? Uh, the location of it if this thing is like trying to be real precise how do you know you've pushed it in it has exactly? it literally has a little conveyor th- like a mechanical conveyor oh i see and it has this like little cameras inside and it does like literally it will optically recognize where you put things oh, like a mouse or something mm-hmm. and then you could even uh like if you wanted to uh, etch into a pencil you don't have to have like a you don't have to i just wanted to do that the other day <laughs> <laughs> you can literally just put the pencil in there and then it will show you an image and then you take your vector and you literally drag it onto the pencil 
align it and you say my go. My vector to myself, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is where I would have been at. Uh, uh-huh. An elaborate scheme to buy a $5,000 laser cutter. Well, it sounds like justification to me. <laughs> thank I'm you. I'm also going to build this gingerbread house. <laughs> yeah, I know, tell the wife. Uh, <laughs> this is why I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> See, you could totally rationalize that too. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I can. I mean, 5000 is a lot to spend on something. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it, it can cut, uh, what is it? Uh, f- 15 millimeters of metal. 15 millimeters, so one and a half centimeters. That's pretty thick. Mm-hmm. One and a half centimeters. Well, wait a second. So an inch is two and a half. Mm-hmm. So a little over half an inch. Over a half an inch. That's thick metal, man. You're not working with half an inch of steel. No. Uh, well, what kind of metal is a steel or like steel, a steel aluminum? Steel. There's like a whole, yeah. I think the, there's like very few like uh, ABS. Apparently you can't cut because it um, creates cyanide gas, Oh, <laughs> which is a, a byproduct you want to be aware of. Uh-huh. Uh, you can deal with that. Just set up like a filtration air. Oh yeah. Ventilation system. <laughs> Just pipe it over the neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're spending $5,000 on a laser cutter, the ventilation system is no problem. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's a couple of a couple of fans and a tube. Um, well, if you get that, and I have to remake one of these uh, one of these things, I'm going to come to you with my Figma file. Do it. Oh, no. You, <laughs> you cannot do it with a Figma file. Anything, dude. It's got to be an illustrator. That's all I got. Um, actually, you can do what we have done is if you, but this isn't a vectors thing. Uh, yeah, if you're doing a laser cutter, you, you need a vector file. Really? Yeah, because there's there's actually line and fill. They're different. So, so you're not doing like precise coordinates. If I need a cutout that's exactly like one inch by three quarters. Of an yes, inch. and then you'll you'll essentially create a, a vector path, and that'll be the cut path. Okay. And the width is only as wide as the laser. If you do a fill. Mm-hmm. it'll actually laser cut it, do slight overlaps so it can burn out more. So it can build out like essentially a rectangular area. Well, but you don't have to fill in the rectangle. You just need to cut the rectangle so that the inside falls out. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm uh, conflating. You can do engraving and cutting. Okay. So that that's how you do the fill. Okay. But if I want to cut out a like rectangular hole mm-hmm. in a piece of metal, yep. and it needs to be certain dimensions, yep. how do you do that with the... You would create a vector path around the outside. Okay. And you say, chooch. It's the side. Yeah. But you could, the other thing too is you could actually uh, outline the vector. So if you have a path and the path has a stroke of one pixel, mm-hmm. that's actual, that's a width, right? Mm-hmm. So if you outline it, that means that instead of a single cut vector, it'll be two lines on the outside and the computer says fill in this area. And those are two different, distinctly different operations for the okay. laser cutter. But in my example of I'm trying to cut out a hole or a yeah. rectangle, I don't need to have it. I just need one line. Yep. Whatever the width of the laser is. Yeah. I mean, you would do, you would, in Figma, you do rectangle mm-hmm. and you give it to me. I put an illustrator, size it, plop it into. Okay, good. As long as I can work in Figma. <laughs> um, that's great. I mean, at the AM company, we used to like punch out chassis ourselves mm-hmm. and it looked like a fucking garage operation. <laughs> and then, um, one day <laughs> thunk, I, thunk, I was thunk. picking up um, some chassis from this powder coater that we were using. And this, mm-hmm. this guy was like an industrial powder coater. And I was like, Hey man, where, do you know anyone that like works with metal? He's like, yeah, there's a shop down the street. Like they do metal. Mm-hmm. 
So I wander in there and we're like a low volume manufacturer. And this is like, I mean, around Seattle, you know, they service like the aerospace industry. So there's some serious operations there. Anyway, they were very generous with me and they're like, oh yeah, you know, here's our like laser cutter, here's our whatever. Just like give us this design and then, and yeah, man, they cut this shit right out and it is just like exactly 0.375 inches mm -hmm. circle, no burrs, no nothing. You're not to burn shit on those things. Yeah. And it was awesome. It made such a difference to have that kind of tolerance when you're doing installations. Um, it just like, it just fits right in and you can get it really nice and tighter on the socket or the plug or the jack, or whatever it is. You do. Everything. Yeah. And uh, what a difference. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so yeah, it's too bad. I only built one of these, but maybe, I mean, I filmed it for my YouTube channel. So maybe I'll inspire oh. other people. That's really cool. To download my Figma file. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, no. <laughs> um, oh, that's cool. So I hope it'll be useful. Because, yeah, tooling, like, that's a thing. Oh, yeah, that's how we got here. That's how we got into it. Yeah. yeah. It's investing in tooling. And all this stuff, I mean, you could buy a bunch of, buy all these parts. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd never seen someone build their own thing that put a bunch of it in one unit. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is the difference here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why people don't do that, more of that stuff. It's a craft. Yeah. I think it's just like culture too. People don't think about it. But um, I think that's a big difference between a hobbyist and someone that does like production level stuff. Uh, a production level, even in, in software engineering, that's what I think of. It's sure. like some kid can hack together something that does something. And it's like, okay, yeah, great. They did it in, in you know a day. It works just Mm -hmm. And then it's like, all right, now let's scale that to the entire country. Well, actually, and it's like, well, okay, that's the difference. Right. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're creating tooling, you're creating this resiliency so that you have a standard that you build to and can trust. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Someone was showing me this like Twitter, this tweet that was, uh, you should see what developers can do on a hack day. But when I ask them to move something like 10 pixels, it takes a week. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, but mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> Well, actually, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's true. And you know what comes up about that is like, yeah, it's fun to just make stuff, mm -hmm. and that can get people really excited. But then suddenly, it's a job, and it's not just about the making the thing. Yeah, what about this? What happens if they hit the up key instead of a letter? Mm -hmm. Well, then it breaks, and it's like, are you thinking about this? Uh, Amp thing is as a job or is this a, a fun hobby right now? Well, this is my job. Uh, how, how are you mentally approaching it? Like job or, or hobby? Job. Job. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, now my like thing is building these um, Tiki tube amps. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I intend to sell them and like, that's how I'm going to make money. Mm -hmm. So uh, I expect to do, I mean, I'd be happy to do two or three in a month. Mm -hmm. They take a long time to build, so I can't do more than that. I don't know what it looks like to scale up something like this. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, mm -hmm. I have to make money off something. Okay. So this is my plan. No, the, the reason I ask is because I do photography and I used to try to do it for paid, mm -hmm. I get paid for it. And I hated it because <clears throat> now I'm under pressure to deliver. Mm -hmm. And I kind of messed up a little bit just by psyching myself out. But now I just do it as a hobby and it's a delight. Like yes. I fucking love it. Yes. Um, and that's just a, a mental switch. And it's funny how it changes. Yeah. When someone's 
asking you to do something. And then it's, I mean, that happened the first time I was doing this. It's like, oh, this used to be a fun thing I did in my bedroom. And now it's like, ugh, fucking work. So we'll see. But One my, day. my approach is like, these are art projects. Mm -hmm. I'm making a thing I think is cool. I'm going to set it up. And it's like, look, do you want to buy this or not? Mm -hmm. You get what you get. I mean, yeah. it's, it'll work. Like, I don't want it to just not work. But um, I'm making them because I think they're cool. And then I'm going to put them out there as any other piece of art. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. You're into this or you're not. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm taking uh, commissions or I, I suppose I would take a commission. Um, That'd be pretty cool. Excuse me, sir. Have you have you made tiki amps before? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for someone to make me a, a giant thing. But you know, I could see someone seeing a couple of these and then getting some weird idea. Hmm? Well, could you make it like a a tiki dog? Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Ooh, do you know about Nixie tubes? You have to. Yeah, I know about Nixie tubes. How fucking cool are those? They're okay. What? <laughs> Dude, there's a guy that was in, I want to say Ukraine. Uh -huh. I hope he's still around, but he would, he started making his own Nixie tubes from scratch. I think I heard about this or maybe you sent it to me. I definitely sent it to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, dude, I, the clock, the Nixie tube clock's like $1,600. Mm -hmm. I cannot justify that. No. But need to do that. it's really cool. It is cool. I think, um, I think I'm just sour on them because they've become not just popular, oh, but they're sort of the like retro hipster. It's more. Um, let me think for a second about what I'm trying to say. Like some, a specific niche in the niche that you're in becomes big. And then that's all people know oh. that one niche of the yep. thing. And they're like, Oh my God. Like, have you heard of Nixie tubes? You're Nixie tubes. Like, yeah, I've heard of fucking Nixie tubes. They're cool. But like, there's this whole other world Surrounding this too. And they're like, yeah, but like Nixie tubes. It's like, all right, fine. Uh, so I think that's why I have beef with them. Um, but yeah, I know about them. They're cool. Because you got the, the other popular one in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what about, there's a whole world over here. No, we don't care about that stuff. <laughs> Beat it. Um, there's actually other interesting tubes uh, um, that will do like, how do I explain this? Um they're like signal meters, but it's like two um, two lines that will sort of converge on each other. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually trying to build one into one of my amps and then couldn't get the circuit to work right. But there's a bunch of like interesting, um, uh, not diagnosis, but like indicator tubes. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's what they use before you know, microprocessors. Mm -hmm. Like how can we use physics to generate an indication? Yeah. Go. Yeah. Um, but it's a, a niche within a niche and already people don't really do two body. Most stuff of anymore. that. <laughs> so, um, and then the question is, well, what's this, what's the commercial product? You know, this guy can sell a clock because people need to tell time mm -hmm. and it's an interesting way to tell time. Um, but who needs like an indicator tube, like for what on their stereo yeah. or something? Look cool. They do look cool. Mm -hmm. Look very cool. Um, so yeah, that's what I think about Nixie tubes. But interesting idea. If they were like a whole steampunk bar, I would expect to see yeah. Nixie tubes. Are there any steampunk bars? Not here. I'm trying to think. I don't know why. The bathtub gin from uh, in Seattle in the Belltown district. 
Yes, I knew Bathtub Gin. Uh, that, for some reason, that comes to mind, even though it's not steampunk at all, but it's got like this old door and then it has brick. You go upstairs and yeah. it's like really, con it's really, really close. And like, I think it's a Nixie tube, stuff. a Nixie yeah. tube like deserves to be there. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why that came up. But. Well, Bathtub Gin also opened around the time that steampunk was getting big in like 2008 or so. So yeah, I remember that. Those are the days. Those are the days. <laughs> um, so, so what? Anyway, I was just laughing. I was recalling. Uh, I was in Seattle for a consulting gig. Will not tell anybody what who it was or what. And it's the, we're on there on Monday, right? And uh, we go through a kickoff, maybe two hours. So it's now eleven. 30 a.m. maybe mm -hmm. and uh the cto is like all right let's go get a drink <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'm like wait what and there's a couple other consultants and he's like no no, no we're gonna go to this like we're gonna take an uber to this bar because I, I know or whatever and i'm like okay it's, it's like a 15 minute drive even though we're passing by like tons of bars on the way right also like what you know what kind of vibe you looking for 11 30 on monday it, his team there's only like six of us Okay. Was it mostly consultants? Were yes. there those people? Okay. Yeah. There's only one other employee. Oh. That was brand new. Was the employee like, yeah, great. Uh, the employee didn't really say anything. It was just like this They, I think it was only their second or third week. Okay. So we get to this place. He knows the bartender <laughs> and the bartender gives him an entire bottle of, I can't remember what scotch. Okay. At 1130. At 1130. And he then gets shot glasses and gives it to everybody. And we start. This is the beginning of my consulting gig there. Wow. <laughs> uh, a year later, he got uh, convicted of uh, fraud. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, he embezzled like over a quarter million dollars from, from the company. company. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And when that, yeah, we saw that, we were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Like, he, he our cab that. alone was five grand of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just, well, I, it's just one of those things where you like look at everybody else and you're like, we're not going to get a lot done here. <laughs> But if you're buying, dude, one of those gigs, yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> million million points. Um, do you remember the bar that you went to? No, uh, hmm. no. The office was in Pike Place, like right, like two blocks off. Mm -hmm. Um, what's that cheese place? Beaker, not Beaker. Murray's. Murray's cheese. Yeah, it's right near there. And then I don't remember where it was. It was like more in town. It was like across from the Patagonia, if I remember correctly. Anyway. Okay. Story is running out of steam. Wow. Um, anyway, moral story. If a CTO busts out a bottle of scotch at 1130 on Monday at your first day consulting, heads up. Heads up for what? What's the appropriate response? Uh, you're paying, right? <laughs> Obviously, they're paying. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I have no idea. I went along for the ride. It was a lot of fun. It was a blast of a week. Was that the only time you went out at 1130 in the morning week? The, we went early in the afternoon a couple other times, but not, that was like the, the shotgun start that, uh, you know, we got, everyone paid attention after that. That's, you know, one of those fun moments as a consultant where you're like, well, it's not my company. <laughs> this is what you want to do like yeah, yeah i'm gonna do it like sure whatever yeah. you're paying me to be here yeah day rate per diem That's travel right. like I'll, yeah this yeah. is what you want to do <laughs> sure it's your time
Mm-hmm. Um, what an expensive way to make friends, you know? Mm-hmm. How many people do you think start companies because they just want friends? Ooh. More than you think, I believe. How many do you think I think? <laughs> uh, I personally know some. Sure. And if they didn't have the company, like they're an asshole uh-huh. and they have power because they're, they run a company. But if they didn't run the company anymore, they'd just be an asshole. Right. So they have to hold on to that power. But were they an asshole when they started the company? Oh yeah. So that was that part of their like, uh, uh, the equation. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I did not directly ask. Okay. Why? what you, what you digging at? Oh, I was just thinking about like the ventures that people start and the adventures they go on. And you know, it's a big deal to start a company. You got to raise fucking money. You got to talk to, you got to convince people to join you on this quest and whatever. And, um, and why? Mm -hmm. And the idea that out of all the reasons to start a company, because you believe in it, because you want to get rich, because your parents expect you to do it, because your friends are doing it. It seems a strange reason to me to be like, oh, like, I don't know. I just want people around. Mm -hmm. Although as someone who's organized events, Mm -hmm. I mean... I didn't necessarily organize them to like make friends. I organized them so other people would make friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it's not far off. No, but you're, you're more in the creating a scene. That's true. That's different from like a company. Yeah. You know, community event is about like, Hey, we like all this thing. Like we, lo- we all like this one thing. Yeah. In fact, like, there is much about making yeah. friends. Yeah. So, um, yeah, different from starting a company, but yeah, like, so I think that is a crucial distinction because you're starting a company, you got to make money of something you're taking investments so you can like make money. Like you got to build a product that people want to buy and then you got to market it and blah, blah, blah. You got to get lawyers involved, accountants, you know, rent space, maybe the whole show and all that. Just so like you can show up and see people during the day. Mm-hmm. You can go work at a company for that. Anyway, it seems a little outrageous to me. I, I would say there's something about the return to work from work from home. I think that has a little bit to do with it. Where companies like, no, 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 you got to get back here. Even though we proved that we can work from home, like you got to be here. Did they prove that you can work from home? Uh, a lot of companies did. Well, you can drive your car with your feet if you want to. <laughs> Doesn't make it a good idea. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out where to place that one. The point is, <laughs> like, yeah, people could do some work from home, but yeah. it's like... Is it good work? Is it in the best interest of the company long term? Yeah. The company isn't about just work product output. You know, there is something intangible and like collective about it. Is there? I think so. What's the intangible collective thing? Well, um it's 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 the uh thing that's greater than the sum of its parts. It's like you bring people together and then there's an energy uh, and a spirit mm-hmm. and a thing of like, well, we're in this, you know, we're working together, together. We're like in the trenches and, you know, and there's like serendipity. Oh, we had this conversation. Never thought we were going to have, Yeah, you build these friendships and relationships and, you know, you don't have to be friends with people you work with, but mm-hmm. there's the opportunity and the sense of shared purpose. Whereas like on a screen, everybody, like nobody exists. Mm-hmm. It's all flat. You work with people for years online and you meet them in person for the first time. And it's, 
it's completely different. It's completely different. So, you know, all of that other, call it social dynamics mm-hmm. that come out of like being in a company, um, we took it for granted when you had to be there. But then it, when you strip that away and it's like, well, what is, what's left? Like, well, it's just sort of, I don't know, a form of naked capitalism of just like inputs and outputs. There's no, there's no mirage or. <laughs> and yeah. And like, and that really sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. I'm not even going to get into like how much are people actually working. That's naked capitalism. I never thought about it that way, but it, it makes a lot of sense. All the pomp and circumstances stripped away. And now you're just a pile of meat typing away. Yeah. Just where, where is your output? Yeah. Then you, yeah, you're just, you're another machine. But is that social dynamic an illusion, a convenient illusion to make us feel better? No, I think it's an inherent quality. And like, look, you brought a bunch of people together for a shared thing. Mm -hmm. And and since history, Mm -hmm. like that was the only way to do something is you got a bunch of people together. And so it was kind of baked in like the fat and milk. Mm -hmm. And then they found a way to like strip that out. Mm And it's like, look, we did this. And it's like, well, this, this isn't quite right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's missing something Yeah. Um, that you never had to think about what's its constituent parts. Cause it was always there. Like it was always taken for granted mm-hmm. that if you got people together to do something, there would be socializing because yeah. that's people getting together. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you're talking about like the tribalism, not of- even tribalism, but just, um, I, tribalism is, is triggering me. Cause okay. I think of like my tribe versus your tribe, but just a, a group energy of like, Oh, we're in this together. So in that sense, it's like a tribe. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. It's like, Mm. you have a common purpose Yes, and it's to murder that other tribe. Right. Right. Or take down the competition. Yeah, exactly. You know, or even, you know, save the day, help these people out. You know, you wear your stupid company sweatshirt. Um, and, and I think that like, and some workplaces suck. So it's complicated, but now we've gotten to a point where we've been able to strip even the humanity out of this common endeavor. And, and it sucks. You're finding like, oh, this is, it's really hollow. Like doing anything without a kind of human touch, it's soulless. And I think it contributes to some of the soullessness a lot of people feel in modern life. Um, so I think it's good that people are going back to work. And I think some people sense this mm-hmm. and I understand when people appreciate the flexibility of like, Oh, I can just go to my gym down the street or, you know, I have kids. I gotta look after them. Like, okay, sure. But, uh, it's a, it's a painful trade-off. And I think people are want to make the trade-off that, um, seems better. Like it's got this sort of short-term appeal. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's I can't go to the gym and that is nice. But you lose out on sort of the long-term benefits of like, oh, I was a part of something. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you take a job and then you leave, you go to another job and it's like, well, what even was that? Came and went. And yeah, I'm in good shape, but like, where did those years of my life go? Mm-hmm. Capitalism made it. Yeah. And, you know, would have eaten it either way but you would have gotten something out of it, mm-hmm. something deeper. 
you know, or it would have had like an emotional resonance in your life. I did this thing for a few years yeah. instead of, I think that's why people feel like what even happened during the pandemic? You know, it's just like an absent thing. Cause it's sort of like to stretch us further. It's like losing your sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Um, food doesn't taste like anything. And it's sort of like, well, now what? I don't get it. Like, yeah. what's the point of this? And the point is to have these like emotional, sensual experiences. Mm-hmm. Without that, yeah, like life just kind of goes by and it's done. You're like, what even happened? You're just on the computer all day. Speaking of fat and milk. Yes, tell me. Uh, have you ever had the milk at Irwan that's the 6% milk where they add cream back in? What? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I've had the milk with the cream on top. The cream topper. Yes, okay. that's delicious. So imagine that, but the cream is in the milk. Uh, the cream is in the milk? In the milk. It's a creamier. It's a, instead of 3.5%, which is, I think, whole milk, right? I thought it was, I don't, I have no idea. It's three and, three and something. It was closer to five, but sure, whatever. They put extra in. It's 6%, and I didn't see it at the time. I just got it because we needed it for a recipe. And I looked, and it was like 6%. I was like, I don't, that's more than normal, right? And it says in the back, we add more in, and it is really good. It's a different food. Oh my goodness. It's delicious. Well, when they say they add more back in, well, I guess out of the cow, it's like a cream, right? Well, it's the milk and the cream. Well, they separate. They come out homogeneous and then they mm-hmm. they separate. Yeah. Okay. So they take the cream. They skim the cream off and give us the milk. Mm-hmm. And so what's like heavy cream when they sell that? Cream. Okay. So that's no milk. I'm at the length of my uh, expertise here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can play along, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just the cream. Curds and whey. Remember that fairy tale? Yes. Um, but I thought cream was like, uh, well, I was wondering if cream is kind of solid. I guess not. Let's talk about the existential nature of working from home. And then it's is cream a solid two minutes later? Yeah. <laughs> But see, if we were raised on a farm, we were all like tied into nature. I think we'd have a different concept of work. Oh, yeah. Right? So, man, you fucking know. It's like, what have, what have I done? Oh, I had to milk the goddamn cow is what I did. <laughs> yeah. The shit's still in my boots. <laughs> yeah, you know that happened. Um, well, this is relevant because I just bought some cream today. So now I'm going to go home and look at how much um, is in it. But... Uh, I bought some of the like cream on top mm-hmm. at the Whole Foods. Comes in these nice glass jars too. I love those. And it was too much for me. Ooh. It was just, I mean, maybe get used to it. I think you get used to it. But it was a little aggressive. Yeah. Do you the, drink milk uh, normally or no? Yes. Okay. Uh, not as much as I used to, mm-hmm. but I will. And um, yeah, it just seemed a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that. So, and I usually drink whole milk, so I'm kind of up there. What I thought was up there, but a whole nother level, baby. No, man. Whole nother level. No, I, I went, I trained, changed over to oat milk for all my coffee. And that's really the only time I have that type of substance. Mm-hmm. And then if I, if Some we do white creamy substance. Yeah. <laughs> if I do drink milk, it's in preparation for making dessert or like I'm using it cooking in cooking. Right. And I'll pretty much like have a swig of it then, but that'll be the only time I have 
actual milk. Mm. Put in my coffee. I have cereal. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll make smoothies with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I get these little like chocolate chip cookies from the store. And then I pour some milk to go with that. Because <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> what kind of cereal? Um, These like Kashi uh, shredded wheat with a little fruit What's inside that? of it. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm fond of that. And I like will get hooked on a certain breakfast and eat it every day for like two years. And then I'll change to some other breakfast and eat that every day for two years. So I'm in my cereal phase mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, what was before the cereal phase? God. Oh, uh, like oats. Like oatmeal, a little mm-hmm. thing of o- oats and um, chia seeds and like uh, granola from the store. So sort of like a mini cereal. Mm-hmm. Had that for a couple of years. Um, before that, it would it was uh, an egg over a piece of bread. Mm-hmm. Toast, they sometimes call it. Um, before that, uh, I went through a phase of oatmeal. I would mm-hmm. make oatmeal every day. But I made a really bomb-ass oatmeal with raisins and a couple different kinds of um, like wheat berries. Mm-hmm cinnamon and milk that was pretty fucking good oatmeal actually um so yeah it just depends usually like someone will come into my life and like make something else for breakfast and then kind of take that up yeah carry the torch for a while Mm -hmm. forgot how it got started end up with great precision (laughs) where did this come from again i don't know but we've got it now um so yeah where to? Well, any other tools you want to get for your shop besides the laser cutter? No. I mean, that thing does everything. It etches and cuts. What more can you want? <sighs> well, it's a good question. I don't know. Like the marketing page is just like, it's just I keep scrolling through it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, I absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely need that. So how for the long, one time a year I use it. How long are you waiting to pull the trigger on this? Uh, we're, we're got to go to a friend's wedding in, um, Italy next year or this year. Sorry. In the summertime. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's going to cost a lot of money. So I want to figure out how much it's going to cost to see if there's actually dollar dues left over for the almost practical laser cutter. Um, a wedding in Italy. Mm-hmm. Expensive proposition. Yeah. I must really like your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Aubrey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're going to the Imperial somewhere real fancy. Wouldn't it be funny? They're like, we're having a wedding in Italy in some shack somewhere. <laughs> this barn. <laughs> no, Imperiali Palace Hotel. Oh, sounds fancy. Um, you know, economy class tickets uh, for two people are $5,600. I was not aware of that. Yeah. Premium economy is $6,800. And business class is 72 something. Up from 56. This is round trip. Mm-hmm. I would go to business class. We That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One has lay flat seats and one does not. Yeah, Italy's a long way away. Yeah. Is it straight from LAX? Uh, no, going through uh, Heathrow. Mm. But on the way back, we're going to be on the uh, big A380. We're going to oh, be on fun. the upper deck, which is going to be super fun. Yeah. Take a picture. Yeah, well. 
Dude, I came across um, a picture of an interior of a plane from like the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Dude, this shit is hilarious. <laughs> this fucking color scheme. It's just like everything looks like the 1970s. The 1970s. Yeah. Um, They're like, man, this like orange, like uh, orange rectangle. -y yeah. Thing. Yeah. But um, it seems quite inviting. Mm -hmm. Seems very warm. Looks like a fucking cigar room. Mm. Right? Mm. Cigar room, I think, is more leather. Uh, what am I thinking of? Business lobby? Business. No. Oh. You know what I'm trying to get at, though. What does it? What does Because like, the original seats in the plane, like, they were too upright. They had, like, the big metal on each side. And they had the little, like, ashtray thing that opened up. Right. This isn't like the 1950s. <laughs> um, I don't remember seeing the ashtrays, although I know they were there. Oh. Are you just like like commenting about like the how much space there was in an airplane? No. Um, although these were like wider seats, maybe it was a business class. Yeah. Um, shot a business class, but just like the carpeting is all orangish, and the the uh, patterns on the seats are orangish, and the kind of the beige plastic, and then the lighting is a little more yellow than the bright lighting we have now. We'll, we'll have to pull it up because you're going to take one look at this and be like, yes, this is how they designed things in the 1970s, what everything looked like. Um, but it just, I don't know, it looked groovy. What can I say? It was a cool look. It was a cool look. But um, to see an environment like commit to that. Mm -hmm. To them, of course, it wasn't committing. It was just what things looked like. But yep. today we might call that a commitment. But it was much more exclusive back then. Like shit was expensive. Airplane? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like now it's like, oh, I'm going to go like on Spirit Airlines for $14 to go to Las Vegas. Like, all right, like that's for the masses. And so I believe the design is also reflecting of more mass appeal, but also, you know, econ uh, economic wise, like cramming as much revenue through that plane as you possibly can. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, isn't it like for inflation? Um, uh, sorry, counting for inflation, airline tickets are the cheapest they've ever been in the history of the world. That's probably true. And it's like, and they were like, yeah, even if you get a business class ticket, it's still cheaper than a business class ticket way back when. Probably. I mean, yeah, they like to say air travel used to be like, used to dress up. It's like, well, yeah, because tickets were fucking really expensive and <laughs> only rich people could afford it. So they were dressed up anyway. So. $14 to fly to Vegas. They were running this like crazy promo. Like I was looking on Google flights to go to Vegas and it was like, it was something ridiculous. It was under $30 to go to Vegas. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, I know it's cheap to go to Vegas. Like, there's always good deals. But $30. Yeah. A fraction of the cost of driving there. <laughs> yeah. And you're there in like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's cool. I was talking to a friend yesterday who said that his kids, he's got young kids. Um, he was like, yeah, I don't know if they're ever going to like fly on airplanes. He has this feeling that by the time they're our age, uh, air travel will be um, much less common than it is now because of um, the fossil fuel mm -hmm. like climate change stuff. Mm. That's interesting. I don't know that that's true. I don't, yeah, it, there's, it's too big, to, makes too much money, and the economy's too dependent on it. Yeah, and like, how else are you going to get places? Yeah. It's not like all of a sudden we're going to like pop up high-speed rail across the entire country. Yeah, it's not going to work. No. And uh, 
I think you could you could say like more casual travel will go down mm -hmm. because the price will go up. But for people that run work in business, like you're they're gonna pay to get to where they need to go. Right. And so I could, I I don't see that going away. But would you see uh no more thirty dollar trips to Vegas? Actually, no. I think I bet you there's still gonna be random like we want people here and mm -hmm. somebody will subsidize it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um like, can you imagine if all of a sudden air, air traffic becomes, uh, sorry, air travel becomes really expensive? These destination places like Hawaii or Las Vegas. It's true. A lot of tourism industries. They're going to figure something out. They would get crushed. Yeah. And specifically with Vegas, which is so close. I mean, one of the, um, one of the uh, benefits of um, like fossil fuels, fair play, it's a good way to travel. Like as you burn up the fuel, the plane gets lighter. But for a really short flight like that, probably doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So just like strap batteries onto the thing and make it electric. Yeah. And then like that's just a different economic model. Mm -hmm. um, long haul flights are, you know, still fossil fuel. Yeah. Better, but <laughs> I like somebody was bitching about the California high speed rail. Uh, and they were like, well, they should have just done it between LA and San Diego because there's already a train that goes there, like right along the coast. And we should just like upgrade that rail and, like stupid politicians, like why didn't they do that? And you know what the answer is? Because it's going to be underwater. <laughs> and the whole premise of like the high speed rail has to be resilient for like the next like three hundred years. Uh huh. And they're like, we can't build right on the water mm. because it's going to go underwater. It's like, oh. I'm a big high speed rail uh, advocate here in California. Like, it's going to cost a shitload. No one's going to really want to pay for it. But when it starts working, you're going to be like, oh my god, this is brilliant. I don't know. No? Well, uh, I love trains. Mm -hmm. So I do too. I want it to work. But let's take um, LA to San Diego or San Francisco. Pick one. Mm -hmm. um, pick pick one for my. Oh, um, San Diego. San Diego. Okay, that's two and a half hour drive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so high speed rail has to what? Hmm. Three traffic hours. can be, yeah, three, three and a half. Let's say it's three hours. Right. Nice round number. Um, High-speed rail has to be faster than that. Mm -hmm. um, and once I get to San Diego, like, if I've driven there, I have my car. Mm -hmm. So I can go various places. San Diego is a spread out area. Mm -hmm. I mean, San Diego, more than other places, has a concentrated downtown. Yeah, you're hanging out and that's there. where actually the rail is, too. Uh, that's another nice thing about trains. Yeah. They tend to go right downtown which is great if you're in like an old style city like New York or Chicago, where that's maybe where you're hanging out. But these days, like because the car has been around long enough, you know, your friends don't live in San Diego. They live in Pacific beach mm -hmm. or uh, Rancho Santa Fe or wherever they live. Um, you got to get a car to get there. So then like, what are you going to rent a car? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the transition. Plus, we're going to have to do it. It's leaving from downtown LA, which is an hour away. Mm -hmm. So that's another hour on top of my ride, mm -hmm. top of my transit time. So I don't save anything by taking the train versus just taking my electric car. Agree, but I think it's we need to start building that infrastructure to eventually get to somewhere better. It's, uh, be like You can't just keep going on with the current catastrophic traffic that exists in Southern California. Like, Why not? It's catastrophic. <laughs> it, I think at a certain point, it's going to drag down 
like productivity, it definitely already does that. I think it already is. But like, I think there's gonna be a tipping point at which people, uh, you know, stop wanting to deal with it or they, they entirely change their lives to either not commute or commute in a different way. Well, this is sort of the inverse of our uh, precision thing because the fact is we have this legacy of like, this is how the city is laid out. You know, the city's dozens of miles across mm -hmm. and there isn't a central like rail station to go to. And you can have high-speed rail that goes to downtown that doesn't do anything for everyone on the west side. Mm. So, you know, how do we get looped into this? Like, we need our own train station. Trolleys, man. And it needs to be a train station that we can, like, reasonably walk to. Mm -hmm. Lincoln Boulevard is, like, a mile away from my place. Mm -hmm. Even that is a challenge to walk to. Mm -hmm. um, so you need a certain amount of density for that sort of thing to work. And... LA in particular, California in general, and, you know, to varying degrees across the state, but particularly in LA, like we are not built for that mm. at all. And so you'd have to have a trolley like at every other street block. Mm. That's a crazy infrastructure. Mm. So I would love to see it happen. I don't see it happening until there is a massive earthquake that basically levels the city mm. and we have a chance to start over. Um. And it's like, okay, well, how do we want to do this? Of course, everyone's just going to want to rebuild their house where it was, mm -hmm. put everything back. Because people are people. But that, I think, is the only way you're going to yeah. see any real change instead of like, okay, they built this line that goes from downtown to the west side. Nobody rides it. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for um, politicians to be like, look, we did it. We built the thing. And I ag agree that from a political point of view, it's a huge feat to build a thing like that. Great work, but no one rides it. So, what was the point of any of this? Uh, Expo Line has pretty good, pretty good numbers. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, they beat their projections, and it was over. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't remember what it was, but it's it's a. Uh, they're now putting four car trains together to go to Santa Monica, from Santa Monica to downtown LA. Hmm. They started with two. Well, four is bigger than two, so. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I think like real rail infrastructure is infrastructure. Like it needs a massive investment and a big plan. Centralized plan. And yeah, a plan that like a lot of people are not going to like, but like they're going to have to lose their houses yeah. over it. I think that's what, uh, the electric scooters capitalized on. Mm -hmm. They were like, yo, politicians, like, do you want to not have a centralized plan for transport? And they're like, hell yeah. And they're like. E-scooters. E mm -hmm. uh, I think they do work pretty well. It's the, the implementation and stuff is kind of shitty. Like if they were government owned or municipal owned, there could be an opportunity to make it like really cool. I don't think it would ever last test or sorry, stand the test of time because people would throw them in the fucking water and you know, whatever. But I don't know. There's an opportunity there. I think. I think the, uh, the room for the government there is to like, set aside a, a lane mm -hmm. you know i'd ride one of those on like a hot lane maybe not downtown because that's pretty far away but halfway downtown mm -hmm. why not yeah if it was just like the scooter lane Did you see the uh there's a town in florida that has uh special roads for golf carts uh-huh and so most people at this in this town when they, the kids go to high school they have a golf cart parking lot because they all ride their golf carts to the high school. Uh -huh. And 
they now have started building out the golf cart infrastructure. That's funny. And that's a huge draw for the city. Uh-huh. It's like, you don't, don't get in your car. Like you just get in your golf cart and well, it's point, way the cheaper. It's kind of the car. Right? Yeah. But I, but I think it's a much more accessible, uh, and it's a lot smaller too. Right. Smaller, cheaper, safer. You know, you're not going 45, 50 miles an hour. Yeah. They were like, you know what? There's more accidents for the younger kids. It's like, yeah, of course. It's like cars too. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything. I'd be happy with scooters. I mean, I wish there were a better rail system around here, but you know, they made their bed in the forties or whatever. They tore it all out. And I think I saw that on who framed Roger rabbit. That's right. Um, it's an underrated movie, by the way. I don't think it's underrated. I think everyone knows it's awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great movie. I've been thinking about it recently, actually. Why? I don't know. It just sort of comes across my consciousness and I was like, I should watch that fucking movie again. What's the, uh, who's the actor that plays the detective? Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Yeah. Like he showed up as that in like Mario and that one crappy Mario movie. Oh, that's another one I've been meaning to rewatch. Oh no. I remember being so excited for it when it came out and I was a little kid. Cause I was like reading Nintendo power all the time. And of course they were talking it up. It was okay. No, it was 10. Yeah. I mean, I bet whatever. Yep, I feel you, Graham. Well, should we wrap it? Yeah, I think that's all I got. Okay, well, it's been another stimulating episode of We Know Better. I'm Desmond. That's Steve. Yep. Uh, those the dogs. Those are the dogs. <laughs> and yeah, if you like this podcast, please uh, like and scru- subscribe to it. Feel free to leave a comment or send us an email um, and share it with your friends if you think it's cool and you think they want to hear some cool stuff too. So with that, we'll sign off. Until next time, stay groovy. Ciao.